watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have three movies for you. You, Halloween, Beautiful Boy, and The Oath. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with a binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Ah, you know what? I just like reheard because we were just talking about a movie and what we're going to rate it. And mm-hmm. I just actually listened to what I said. It's okay, but it's kind of meh. Oh, no. <laughs> ah. No, you may have changed your mind. I'm, yeah, we might have some You're... last minute edits. Oh, shit. Here we are. Uh, you know, it's also a good time to talk about life being too short for that mess when we're reviewing a slasher movie, mm. which we'll be doing this week which with Halloween. Which is both short and messy, mm-hmm. that movie was. That's true. Hour That's and a half, I think. Life is a short mess, um, <laughs> in the case of Halloween, for many of its characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the meantime, Rebecca, what's up with you? Uh, what? 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 Turn uh, the tables. Yeah, you turn, turn the tables on me. Um... What's up with me? I mean, usually nothing. Um, <laughs> but this week, um, I want to talk a little bit about a little adventure that Jason and I are, are going on. It's called marriage. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's more of a journey. Um, <laughs> and it starts today. Uh, no, we're going on a boat cruise next August. I didn't know we were going together. Uh, we're going with a mutual friend. And then they, that mutual friend told me you were going. And so now we're all here and I have to live with it. <laughs> Apparently, we're sharing a balcony on a cruise ship that's going across the Mediterranean <laughs> Sailing along to the sounds of Bell and Sebastian, Camera Obscura, Buzzcocks, <laughs> Japanese Breakfast, always, and others. Always. Always. Um, yeah. And it leaves Barcelona, and it goes to Sardinia, and then it goes back to Barcelona, where hopefully all of us are returning. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will say that uh, I first... So I was trying to get Heidi to tell me which cabin you guys had booked, and then she did, and I looked and I realized that the one next to you was not only open, but shared a balcony with it, which I thought was like the best possible solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Heidi was ecstatic. And when I told you the news, you were less, you were less ecstatic. What did I say? I forgot. <laughs> I believe you shouted, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Can't fucking get away from you. <laughs> Which made me yeah. feel real good. Uh, no, I'm, I'm super excited. <laughs> <laughs> so guys we may or may not binge from sea uh yeah. oh yeah we should binge from the sea uh but it's not gonna be until next august so there's plenty of time for us to figure out how to binge in international waters and how to purge the extra five pounds we're all carrying before we go Oof. sun ourselves on the beaches of uh, barcelona ain't that the truth uh yeah that is an exciting thing it is also partially i guess what's up with me Mm. uh but first off um i would like to acknowledge (laughs) i'm gonna keep it short this week because last week i kept it long uh i would like to apologize to all of you who had to sit through about 20 solid minutes of just aimless pointless meandering from me about uh about meet and greets uh, without a so much as a single punchline, you know, and I really meant I take responsibility as well. I meant to edit most of that out, and I just <laughs> I got so bored by it that I forgot to edit. You guys have no idea how much just 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 pointless rambling of mine. Rebecca has to cut out every single week, and you know, to to edit it, you have to re-listen to the rambling so many times, and I just couldn't put myself through it. I do apologize for it's that. Okay. Um, so guys, I just, it came from a point of, of just exhaustion. I was very exhausted last week when we taped the show and I just wasn't in my best self-editing state. 
so with that said, I'm going to keep it short this week, and I'm just going to plug another podcast that I taped earlier this week, and which is already available. It's a podcast I've done before. It's a show called Drunk Safari. Mm. Uh, it is done by my friend Maggie Takuda Hall. And um, every week she brings on a guest uh, where the two of us, you know, me, you know, the guest and Maggie have some drinks and sort of, you know, warm up and then they sit down and each one has picked an animal in advance and then they just run through this battery of questions about said animal. And uh, it's informative. It's funny. um, It is surprising. uh, And the last time that I did the show, my animal was the Okapi. Uh, which was a sort of a weird, like, semi-zebra with this, like, striped ass that always, like, leads with when it's photographed. <clears throat> and uh, this time around, I picked an animal called the cassowary, which is an animal I discovered at a zoo in Australia that I'd never imagined before, this animal. And then I shrieked when I saw it because it looks like a real-life dinosaur. Um, and um, it is it is just a freak of nature, and it is it is known as the world's most dangerous bird. But I got real close to it in Australia because I didn't know that yet. Because <laughs> uh, it was the mayor of the town I was in. Because it was. And I was just trying to pay my respects. <laughs> um, so, but guys, check it out. Drunk Safari. It's the only podcast by that name. Uh, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's real. It's a, it's a tight 37 minutes or roughly the length of my stories last week about, <laughs> about meet and greets. So have a listen. I think it's a, I think it's a fun show. Should we change our name to something that is only us? I mean, there have been we, a lot of binges that have come up. There have been. Um, I think we're the only one called the Binge Movie Podcast. Definitely. Oh, which is like the clunkiest name, mm-hmm. but at least it like makes it like no one else would want to be that clunky. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we are Microsoft. There's even like a name and names binge or something like that. If you look up the binge under Apple Podcasts, uh, you'll see a lot of options. Yeah, not, by, not... by companies much more famous and, and well-produced than us. Uh, and more famous in Australia in particular. Mm, oh, right. That's a whole network. I <laughs> that think. is. That is. Uh, so, yeah. So, guys, should we change your name? Let us know. We're open to suggestions. Let's get on to the movies this week. The first one, so seasonal, is Halloween. It's been 40 years since Laurie Strode survived a vicious attack from crazed killer Michael Myers on Halloween night. Locked up in an institution, Myers manages to escape when his bus transfer goes horribly wrong. I think of it as like a bus transfer. He's just like, I'm on the 7, but I got to take the 32 downtown. I'm in the sunset now? What? <laughs> I'm a bitch. Oh. God damn uni. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a hospital, it's a hospital bus from the asylum. Anyway. Lori now faces a terrifying showdown when the masked madman returns to Haddonfield, Illinois. But this time, she's ready for it. Everyone in my family, like, turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Dad, look out! The bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? Costume ready? 
Rebecca asks this because she just witnessed me trying on a part of my costume for the mm-hmm. first time, and it did not go great. Um, not okay. It, uh, yeah, so Scott and I are going to be dressed up as um, two characters from the Netflix series Glow this year. Um, Scott is going to be Liberty Bell. I'm going to be Zoya the Destroyer. You should have asked me. I would have been a great Mark Maron character. I feel like that's very true. And it's, it's a good excuse to smoke cigarettes. And it's not too late. Well, call and, me. You and, have my uh, number. And I think there's plenty of room for Soul to pick one of the girls, too. Yeah, there, there are so many so there many are. characters to choose from on that show. That's very true. It's an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, Scott has been taking the lead on this one. He has been... Um, Spending exorbitant amounts of money, um, calling in um, bits and pieces of our costumes from all over the known world, and um, and Rebecca just witnessed me walking in my enormous thigh-high five-inch heel black hooker boots that I'll be wearing along with my wrestling singlet. Uh, if you're wondering if I'm eating, the answer is no, because <laughs> uh, it's only one week out, and I have to live with myself after these photos are taken. Um, but yeah, so that's what I'm doing for Halloween uh, this year. Um, and then probably at the very least, we'll just be going out for Halloween Saturday is kind of, you know, the biggest thing in San Francisco. This isn't a what's up with you. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll just just go to Oasis again. Like we always do in Halloween Saturday. What about you, Rebecca? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to be dressed up. Sorry to bother you. (laughs) Oh, that's Um, right. You guys already had that locked in. So Halloween, the movie. Yeah. Um, I, let's do a little temperature, uh, uh, check. Um, big fan of the series, Big you're a big fan of horror movies. Give me, give me your thoughts on, on the, give me your, give me your background. Uh, n- no, no, I have not watched all the Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. I've seen the first one probably once. Um, I believe I watched Halloween H2O at some point in the nineties mm, when that I kind mean... of jumped in to kind of cash in on that late nineties post scream teen horror moment. I believe white Michelle Williams was in Halloween mm-hmm. H2O. Mm-hmm. Uh, WMW. That, that is one of her first, uh, and only sort of iffy credits in her filmography because she kind of jumped straight to art house right after and has stayed there ever since up until venom recently uh so and then there was i believe another there was like what halloween resurrection after that which is the one that had buster rhymes and tyra banks in it Mm. (laughs) i want to revisit that one from what i recall tyra had a hilarious death scene which is something she likes to do in all of her movies such as higher learning oh right uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of the series. Um, but the important thing about this new Halloween is that you don't have to be because it ignores every single other movie except for the first one. And there was another movie in the series that sort of did that, sort of changed the, um, uh, backstory. Oh yeah. So they've changed the mythology whatever. a whole bunch of times and they even literally killed off Laurie Strode mm-hmm. in one of the last Halloween sequels. I kind of like that. I kind of like the idea of just being like, fuck it, I'm going to take, we know this story that we're going with, and we're <laughs> mm-hmm. going to do our own take on it. I, that doesn't bother me. Does that bother you? No, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I saw this at TIFF, ding, and I went to one of the, it was a midnight premiere, and the cast and crew were there, and uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was asked, like, why now? Why this? Uh, and she was like, they came to me with an idea. They pitched me. I liked it. Here we are. There you go. Then what, um, what more do you need? Nothing. Not a thing. If it's good with Jamie Lee, it's good with me. I feel like, you know, when when a, when a series is so, when the when the storyline is so weak and, and so, or just so basic, right? You don't need to, it's not like episode seven of Downton Abbey. You're like, and then all of a sudden we changed half <laughs> right. of the characters and there never was a dowager. Um, <laughs> Chicken head. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, with this one, why not? Keep yeah. The, keep the premise, change it up. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, having it be basically just a sequel 40 years later uh, is the concept here. That So it's this movie is directed by David Gordon Green, co-written by he and Danny McBride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like it's every bit as kind of fun and as you would think from a movie that's written by those two guys together. Yeah, I thought there were some like attempts at jokes that didn't work out very well. Mostly by the, the dad <clears throat> character. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I did see a few comments that like, you know, their kind of natural instinct for comedy tends to be a little stonerish, and that doesn't land all the time here. Right. Okay. It works out when it comes out of Danny McBride's mouth. Yes. But ma- you have to be the right person to read those lines, I think. I would agree. Uh, but that's my background. What about you, Rebecca? Kind of the same. I think I've seen the first one maybe once. Um, and then maybe I think it was H202 where it was like, it was at some party in high school, right? <laughs> like, or college. But right. um, And you're like, oh man, I love Josh Hartnett. He's so hot, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but nothing since and I'm not a big horror movie person in general right know this about you Uh, so with that all said this one uh, did you feel like you knew what was going on watching it? Yes, they do a great job of setting up the story for you Um, there's no need to see the other movies to get this one no Um, I do think that if you're going to take that that angle of just doing whatever you want with the with the basic components it would have been nice to sort of modernize the way you look at a lot of things while you're at it. Um, Such as? I mean, it was, this movie came in super hot with uh, a very long, regressive view of the mentally ill. Okay. That I had, it had a hard time getting past until okay. it got in, into the straight up killing scenes, <clears throat> in which case I was then distracted. <laughs> but, you know, it sets the stage where Michael Myers is in this insane asylum. And it's, you know, a very um, 70s view of, of an asylum. And right. You're made to be afraid of all of the people in there, and um, they're basically viewed at and treated like animals. And um, I mean, I was scared, and I don't like the fact that the movie brought out the part of me that's like scared of the mentally ill. And that's we're we're past that. You can do something better with that. You can frame it that he was there, but not make it so chilling. And these people literally react like animals to certain things, um, certain triggers. And I, I I found that insensitive and unnecessary. So you hate it because it's pieces of you. And that's what I hear you saying. Are you going to sing, Jewel? I mean, I'm always on the verge. I know you are. Um, Yeah. I mean, I would think that like Michael Myers would not be just like your average everyday quote unquote asylum. This is for like the violently insane. Yeah, but they don't like lock, like chain you to the middle of a square outside in the hot sun without (laughs) a chair. They might. I don't know their life. I mean, maybe, but I do like the fact that, uh, like, right at right at the beginning, the um, the obvious annoying first to be killed folks are some podcasters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. See, that, I, there they brought they were that, sign of the times. That but, was um, wise updating. I was like, yes, a hundred percent. This is the perfect way in to tell this story. Yeah, that the, was nice. The idea is that these are true crime pa- uh, podcasters because what more is there in the podcast market than true crime podcasts mm-hmm. uh true crime podcasters who are there to do an episode about the haddonfield murders the babysitter murders and uh go to try to interview michael at the asylum and then try to track down Lori in her survivalist compound to talk to her as well mm-hmm. um which i thought was a terrific way in it was so great they were obnoxious and mm-hmm. entitled and pretentious and, and the way they like and and good, just like us <laughs> just like us <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was a real asshole. <clears throat> um, she had ethics. Yeah, it was really a, <laughs> a mirror. 
to us. You can tell she did all the work. And the way he just like, when they start and they go and they visit Michael Myers and he's just like yelling at him <clears throat> in a way that the, you would never be able to go in and interview someone as a journalist. And in it was just... Yeah, like, I've tried. I've Trust me. Done. Yeah. Like, you raise your voice even a little bit. You're out of there. They kick you right out or they keep you in for too long. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That was just a bad, that was a bad look to start it off with. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah. So there's that. And then we kind of get into, uh, in addition to the characters, the two main returning characters of Lori and Michael, uh, Lori has, there are now two more generations of Strode women mm-hmm. um, that she has begat. Uh, we have her daughter, who's played by Judy Greer. Mm-hmm. They are estranged. Judy's character is very weary uh, of everything that her mother has kind of forced her to prepare for in life and mm-hmm. and endure. Um, because Lori, understandably, um, has a extreme PTSD from what she experienced in the first movie. And um, and Judy kind of resents her for that. She kind of resents that she had to be raised by uh, an unstable person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she, in turn, has her own daughter, a uh, teenage daughter, I think, mm-hmm. who she's trying to kind of shield from it as best she can. Uh, but then, of course, Michael comes knocking. Uh, so uh, some of that training might come in handy eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked about this movie is um, the way Michael Myers is just basically this killing machine mm-hmm. it's a combination i think of the directing um and the the framing and the acting it's like he just glides across the scene and he's like an unstoppable force right. that effortlessly and um in like terrifyingly just kills and it's not over the top it's right. like it's like as though he he's like the lebron james of murder like he just slides right in and like always kills to, moving kills moving it's like a shark yeah no uh and that is i read an interview with the um the actor who is in the costume and he said he actually got tips from a professional killer no oh god seriously yes that's uh, what it's like because he was like i guess he was in some other movie and then at, he was at a screening of it and then afterward this guy walked up to him and was like oh well hey yeah great movie but that's not how you kill people and the guy is like okay and um and the guy is like yeah like you know he's like i'm a contract killer and and what you do is, yeah, you just kind of like walk right up and you do it. There's no, there's no build up. There's no, yeah, you just like walk right up and you do it. Like either you don't leave any time for anything else to happen. It, you know, you just what do it really quickly. And then that's that. And, um, and so he said that he channeled that into this performance, into the physicality of just doing what you just described. Oh my God. Of just, yeah, just gliding, just gliding like, right thanks. up and just gliding up and doing it without hesitation. Um, and just seeing it through and then being like, well, that's that. Wow. I know it's terrifying. That's terrifying. So, uh, so there's some, there's some, some, some unpleasant reality perhaps in the wow. performance that is captured in the film by the actor who is in the Michael Myers outfit. Um, so once we have, so yes, we have other new characters who are basically just sort of cannon fodder Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. um, and that's, and that's probably, I think in some ways the weakest part of the movie, just in the sense that like, it's, you're just biding time. Mm -hmm. You're still having fun or at least like, you know, like it's still like a fun, entertaining slasher movie, Mm -hmm. but you know, you're just waiting for the big finish. Right. Because you already know the setup. Right, you know it's going to have to. We be We know those that two. Michael and Lori are are fated for a showdown, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, and so we just kind of basically recreate the first movie, um, in a lot of ways, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with not not a lot of twists, 
Um, but you know, they they kick up the body count some. Yeah, it's and, more of like a, it's. I don't think it's like a will they die or won't they die. It right, becomes like a how gonna, are they going to die. Like, yeah. It's almost like a Final Destination type yeah. situation. Yeah, they start to drop pretty quickly. Um, the movie I would say is. Did you think it was scary? You've mentioned you were scared by the opening by yeah. the by the asylum scenes. That was scary. Um, hmm. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a jump out of your seats type movie. Um, it, there were a lot of there was a lot of gore that was just like you know off putting. They kind of save it up. For most of the movie, I remember thinking like, "Oh, this is even gory," and then toward the toward like the late like middle late parts of the movie, then they kind of cr- crank it up in a few scenes. Like, "Ooh, there we mm, go." I felt it was gory in the gas station scene at the beginning. Oh, you thought that? I thought that actually to me was just brutal. Mm-hmm. That was a really brutal fucking scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because it was more like a just a, like a beating people to death kind of thing than like a ripping their insides out or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I found it gory. Yeah. Um, but. No, yeah, I don't know. I think it's scary in the way that, like, still, the way he moves and the way he, like, is uh, insatiable, scared, right. still feels weird to me hmm. in a way that, like, a, it's not like, you know, I don't know, a movie where there's, like, a, a bunch of jump scares. So the answer is yes, it it's scared It's unsettling, you. yeah. It scared yeah, you. Yeah, it kind of did. Um, when I watched it, I did not think it was scary, but then I got back to my hotel room in Toronto, and I was very scared. <laughs> <laughs> I was alone in my hotel room, and I was just petrified. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it has some, it has some good, you know, it just, yeah, it has that creep factor to it. Cause I mean, Michael Myers is such a disturbing character and, um, but you know, I do think that like we we're saying, it's all building up to the showdown and for the showdown, I would say that it delivers. Yes. Yes. It is incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a lot said about this movie reflecting our current moment in ways that maybe it, it itself didn't anticipate that it would. Mm, say um, more in, about that. In terms of being a story about um, about female trauma, mm. about you know about sort of, you know female victimization at the hands of men, mm-hmm. um, and the value of believing women, mm. uh, the value of listening to female stories, uh, and uh, and and just sort of a story about trauma. You know, Lori mm-hmm. is a deeply traumatized woman. And so, uh, and she knows what happened to her, even though some people are like, oh, well, it's it's urban legend or who knows what, uh, uh, you know, she knows what happened to her. And so just as a story about seeing how truly haunted, how sort of like, I don't know, you know, the, the things we talk about with, um, you know, women who are the victims of, of, you know, sexual assault or sexual impropriety where it can mess their entire lives up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what happened to Lori, mm-hmm. uh, except for in the case, you know, it was violence. But, you know, she here she is 40 years later. Her She has the same haircut but it's totally gray. And she's in this survivalist compound and she's just never really recovered. So and she's ostracized her family mm-hmm. um, in the goals of, of keeping them safe. Right. Hasn't been able to make connections um, in the real world. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess that there was a feeling. There was a feeling of something being connected to the right now, but I don't know. I was just there's just like you know sometimes a lot going on. You're like, the pieces are right there, but I can't put them together. Right. And that that is what it is. And I, it felt it felt very nice that it it didn't take the whole movie for her to get the validation from mm-hmm. the public. Right. Both like the police department and her and her family. Like the first probably third is like everyone thinks she's crazy right. and um, uh, everyone like like thinking she should go talk to him right. what's best um and then like not even halfway through she everyone's like oh never yeah. mind you were right yep yep yeah no exactly and that's another thing because Lori always knew he would come back mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she always knew that's why she was prepared 
because uh, she knew she knew it was just a matter of time mm-hmm. you know like other people be like oh this this boogeyman oh is it even real oh they say you're safe she knew the safety was an illusion and she knew that he was going to come back someday mm-hmm. and then he does um but yeah i think there's there's a great sort of female empowerment storyline particularly with the three generations of strode women right uh coming together um you know, I think these stories are always the most powerful when they are about this sort of, you know, this 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 key figure who is an embodiment of trauma. That's honestly what I always felt the Scream movies were. I always felt that Sidney Prescott, Nev Campbell's character in the Scream movies, was exactly that. Like, we follow her through such an arc, through, from one through four, um, whereby the fourth one, or maybe it's the third one, that she's like kind of living in her own kind of survivalist compound by that mm-hmm. point. The way that Nev Campbell plays the layers and layers and layers of trauma and scarring that she has had to accumulate over all these years, having to lose so many people and have so many like violent experiences and near death moments. Uh, And even though obviously like to some extent it's ludicrous, um, Nev Campbell always found the humanity in a way that Mm. always resonated with me really intensely. Um, No matter how, you know, you know, obviously the final two screams in particular are not known as like high art. But uh, but she always found that emotional through line. And that, to me, was always the most compelling part, not like watching people get butchered. It was like just watching the way that Sydney processed um, the trauma and the things that would reignite it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's something that this movie kind of understands. I mean, we've talked about this before with, with horror movies, and, and it's, you know, uh, a discussion had by academics as well, where, you know, where is the line between, you know, the victim, women victims in horror movies and like uh, the female experience, mm-hmm. um, maybe this movie did come out at a time where it's just like you have to be blind not to see the connection at this point. Right, people are talking about it. Whether it's like that, those movies existed to continue to um, propagate the the entertainment certain men feel in this environment, and like that's that's of course it's like the you know uh, entertaining version of what life is like versus the you know the more shaded like this is a representation of what women go through in, in an mm-hmm. extreme way. But yeah, this movie really puts it all all out there. It does. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis, incredible. Did you like the performance? Oh, fantastic! Yeah, she is unbelievable. Yeah. I got some. I got some uh, three billboards vibes from her. Mm, yeah, I could see that. I, I could see that. I need. A, I need an action figure mm. from her as well. Oh yeah, and uh, Judy Greer um, gets to have some pretty great moments toward the end. Yeah, really, really solid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that final scene is really thumbs up. Definitely great. worth the price of admission alone. I feel like I'm talking myself toward a binge it. Me, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I there, I really had a hard time with the mental illness. I had a hard time with the fact that, that the, like the doctor that is obsessed with him, like that whole thing that happens mm-hmm. is really clunky and unbelievable. And the fact that he's like this German accented psycho- psychologist is like just dumb. And I don't know if that's like a like an homage to I don't know a stereotype <laughs> it just seemed like like there were parts of it that were that were really old and and unbelievable and then some of them that were super updated right and and fresh I feel like like a weird like, combo you're like trying to get your hate back <laughs> i'm working <laughs> myself back into that angle. watch some gay porn get my hate back <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i don't know i feel like if you're looking for a halloween movie this week yeah i would go see it yeah, no, that's I a mean, new rating. It is a <laughs> yeah. If you if you want to see it, then yeah, go see it. <laughs> see, that's the insight you guys tune in to hear from us. Uh, I mean, this movie is already on track to do incredibly well this weekend. It's like the um, only horror movie out this weekend. Yeah, right? and people are coming out in droves for it. 
Um, I think it's tracking for like a $70 million opening weekend or something, which for, which for an R movie, hmm. it's pretty great. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I was kind of like on Twitter when I saw it in TIFF, I gave it a B. Um, but you know, I, and I, yeah, I just, oh man, I'm mixed. Yeah. You know, I think there are things I really, really like about it. And then there are things where I'm just like, well, yeah, it's just okay. It's okay. It's good, but it's kind of meh. I'm going to go back with the consume. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's like a consume plus okay. for me. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think, you know, I think Halloween fans are, are going to be, you know, sort of uniformly pleased i would think uh we apologize for us kind of stumbling through I, I'm, I'm sure that uh you guys know we're not horror aficionados originally we were going to have friend of the uh, friend of the show joshua grinnell on to give us a full schooling on the new halloween but sadly schedules did not permit mm. so you just get us halloween is rated r for horror violence horror violence <laughs> halloween is rated r for horror violence and bloody images language brief drug use and nudity this brings us to our second movie of the week, which is Beautiful Boy. Based on the best-selling pair of memoirs from father and son David and Nick Sheff, Beautiful Boy chronicles the heartbreaking and inspiring experience of survival, relapse, and recovery in a family coping with addiction over many years. My son has gone missing. Nicholas Sheff, S-H-E-F-F. There's no one by that name, sir. There are moments that I look at him this kid that I raised, who I thought I knew inside and out, and I wonder who he is. I thought we were close. I thought we were closer than most fathers Wait, and sons. Yeah. Why? I felt better than I ever had, so I just kept on doing it. This oh, isn't us. Fun. This is not who we just are. Kidding. My son is out there somewhere, and I don't know what he's doing. I don't know how to help him. You can't. I don't feel like I have a disease. This isn't like cancer. This is my choice. I put myself here. I failed. I can't do it alone. I need to find a way to fill this black hole in me. I still have a family. I want them to be proud of me. When we were watching Beautiful Boy, um... The feeling I could not shake throughout this entire film, and it's probably not what they intended at all when they were making it, is I wonder what this father is like in real life. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring it back to that. <laughs> so, guys, is his hand bleeding? Guys, if you recall. Did Jason notice? From my 20-minute ramble last week, um, I did have a sort of awkward small talk moment with David Chef, like the man played by Steve Carell in this movie. Uh, and, and the real-life Nick Chef was there as well. Uh, so oh, how's he looking? Uh, he looked good. Uh, he looked like a like a more fully sized Timothy Chalamet. Really, so it, was, it was good casting. I was I wondering think, if it was like a kind of, like if you're like, oh, who would play no, you in a movie? They who were even ever... they were even both wearing like striped sweaters and yeah. It wow. Was, yeah, they they. It's a good pick. It's a good match. It's a good casting. Uh, but yeah, no, it was. I was. I when I had that meet and greet, I had not yet seen the movie. So now I've seen it. And I'm like, whoopsie daisy. Um, <laughs> especially because he was telling me. Oh wait, you hadn't seen it. No, when I saw it with you, it was my first time. Oh. Um So yeah, I. I mean, I knew what the story oh. was about. But I also feel like now that guy knew that I like hadn't seen the movie because when he was telling me like, oh, I actually I did all these interviews with Steve Jobs back in the day. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. I was like, oh, really? And meanwhile, like you can see it. It's like displayed so prominently in the movie at like David's work desk, like this this framed interview with Steve Jobs on the wall, like right behind him. It must I'm, like, have been like a really uh, like explosive one, right? 
uh, explosive what? Like interview, like a really important one. Yeah, I think it was like one of like the kind of like formative early Mm -hmm, Steve Jobs mm -hmm. interviews. Um, So anyway, so yeah, so David Chef, longstanding, very a journalist. There are lots of scenes of him sitting in the Rolling Stone office Mm -hmm. um, in this movie. Um, and, uh, we have here, uh, yeah, it's, it's, this is a written, uh, adaptation of two memoirs because both David and Nick, father and son, each wrote their own memoirs, um, because the world needs more. So you much know? to say. <laughs> the world needs more memoirs. Um, and, uh, although it feels like the movie is mainly told from David's point of view. No, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, which leads to a lot of sort of like Steve Carell wearing a plaid shirt looking to the middle distance looking kind of all ll being ready mm. uh this is something people have said about this movie is that they feel like it's too pretty for uh for an addiction memoir it's just too goddamn beautiful it is a gorgeous movie it make the bay area is beautiful every day i think it's beautiful and in this movie made it look even more gorgeous yeah I know. To those people, I would just say, like, yeah, sorry, NorCal's pretty. <laughs> the, the house they live in is amazing. It's like craftsmen oh in the woods with yeah. huge windows. Uh, his outfits are amazing. He yeah. and Maura Tierney are adorable. Yes. Timothy Chalamet is beautiful. Yeah. Like, everything, everything, everything is just gorgeous. The, the house yeah. that his mom lives in in L.A. is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. yeah, this movie is, is it, beautiful. It's an excuse our beauty moment on behalf of Northern California. And also, and they're in Marin. I mean, my God, yeah. Marin is, is a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So some some have suggested that that is somehow sort of counter to what they imagine an addiction movie's aims should be. Interesting. Um, I actually found that to be... Um, so a, a lot of... When I was watching this movie, I kept thinking about the hate you give a lot. mm Okay. Um, and I was thinking about uh, f- like fathers uh, or relationships between parents and children and how there's this, you know, the thread between regardless of things that have either man-made or not man-made, like at some point, families from completely different backgrounds find themselves in this place that things are outside of their control and mm-hmm. there's nothing they can do and they're trying to do their best and uh, and they can't. And so I, I found that stark difference from the hate you give like all the more uh, poignant in this like connection mm. I was trying to make. That's interesting. In my head. Yeah. What, what surprised me the most about this movie. I mean, I feel like there's not much to talk about from a plot perspective because it doesn't really have a plot. Mm-mm. It's kind of a chase movie, um, mm-hmm. you know, where we just have like Steve Carell just chasing. We have David chef chasing Nick. Um, and then sometimes things seem that are going okay. And then Nick will relapse again. And then Steve Carell will be once again reduced to driving around the tenderloin in his car. Or, you know, just trying to call hospitals and see if Nick's there. And um, so it's basically this sort of, you know, very repetitive thing, which arguably is the point. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, something that David Chef has to learn uh, whenever the first time that Nick kind of leaves the treatment center and, you know, uh, someone on the phone from the center tells him, like, the relapse is part of recovery. And he kind of mocks them in that moment. But I think the movie is kind of him learning that, like, yeah, it is. Um, you know, like it, it is, it is part of it. Mm-hmm, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, the movie is directed by, I believe a Belgian director named uh, like Felix von Groninger. Mm-hmm. And he brings, I would say a very kind of European sensibility to it in the sense that there's no moral, um, to take away from this. Like there's no cause, there's no cause. There's no like, oh, this is what makes someone an addict. Which I found really refreshing. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's no, yeah, there's just no cheap moralizing. Um, all there is, is just something that exists, which is addiction. And then there is a parent's love. If anything, this is the unpopular part of my of my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
if anything, I felt like I was surprised. So I didn't realize it was dual memoirs that this was reflecting. I thought it was just the fathers. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, if I have any, if I have any opinion about, about what happened here, I feel like this movie paints the father to be incredibly selfish. Mm-hmm. That his, you know, he gets some feedback from his son that like a lot of this is about how controlling he is. And like at first that kind of just seems like something someone with an addiction is like lashing out or, you know, and also a teenager, right? It's like lashing out against someone, you know, his mother's in LA. So you don't have that same power dynamic being far away. And, um, but then, and then at the end, like, you know, when he eventually chooses to kind of figure out where to draw his boundaries and his lines with the son, um, the way everything is motivated by his expectations for his son's life and his feeling of disappointment and how he reacts to his fear, um, made made the father seem really mm-hmm. selfish yeah um, i totally I got that from him like, in person i was you? like oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was like yeah you you're like, a selfish motherfucker as you didn't even notice his hand was bleeding exactly well, i know i did notice i was just too polite to point it out <laughs> uh yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's true. I think that, you know, I think that the David character is, is meant to be flawed in his own way. And I think that, I think it kind of calls out a lot of people who find ourselves in that position where like a loved one has like a substance issue. And then you have, you know, can find a way to kind of make the narrative about your, to, sure. cent- to center yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm um at the at the heart of that story mm-hmm. um you know it happens all the time um and you know and so i think it's realistic and i think that does anyone call him out about that in the movie i'm trying to remember if anyone's ever no. just like i feel like because his wife the, his ex-wife there's this one part yeah where she's like i i like because he draws his boundary and she's like well i'm right. gonna keep trying and i and i feel like you know that's it's not super clear there because they they've had different levels of interaction in in, mm-hmm. in nick's life right um, so he's not really made to be the bad guy there. If anything, he looks like he learned a lesson Yeah. and it's so subtle. Like to me, it wasn't very clear that he's like, you know, he's very selfish and I do think it's incredibly realistic. You know, we have a way to make things about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was just confusing to me because I thought it was the father. Yeah. I don't know. It was, I guess, just incredibly realistic. It's worth pointing out at this point that there's actually a, a reunion of the office in this movie because oh, right. uh, Nick's mother, uh, David's ex-wife, is played by Amy Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, who, of course, was Holly in the final stretch of the office, who mm-hmm. I believe is who Michael Scott ends up with in the end. I don't know. I never watched the end. Okay. Um, so reunion of the office and much sadder terms here, mainly shouting each other over the phone. That was actually one thing that I didn't expect to see either. You know, you have Steve Carell looking beautiful. He also, they also, this is like a very European look look as well i think the way he dresses the way they are lumber sexual it's that it's the most european part of the bay area is mm. represented here <laughs> um but uh right, more tyranny's just like painting braless in the corner yeah they're like there's this point where he's you know so frustrated and he just kind of like screams and i was like oh this is the office that's the same guy from the office <laughs> yeah yeah that's true whenever he gets and when his voice goes up at a higher nasal yeah. register then then suddenly it's like oh steve Carell's being funny uh, <laughs> right 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 which is, it's hard to really break that. My reference for that is always that um oh, David Gordon Green he did a movie called Snow Angels. It's like serious domestic drama with Kate Beckinsale and like um uh, uh some other people, and um and Amy Sedaris is in it in like a non comedic role. Um, there's a scene where like Kate, Kate Beckinsale's character has been like taken out into the woods and potentially killed by her abusive ex husband, and Amy Sedaris is running through the woods mm-hmm. um screaming her name. Oh no! <laughs> but because Amy Sedaris, she's just like Amy. Um, and so she's just screaming the name in a full Jerry Blank voice, and it just broke the moment for me. So <laughs> Steve Carell has the same curse where we just associate mm-hmm. certain, I think even Regina Hall too, you know, like, like, uh, if she, 
gets up into her screaming oh, yeah. voice mm-hmm. then she sounds like brenda from scary movie mm-hmm. where you first came to know her so it's true there's a certain curse that comic actors have um but uh you know i think steve Carell is still very effective in this and uh and he in yeah to your point he looks great he looks yeah it's just full ll bean uh moments he's giving us left and right it's a full lookbook uh, it's, it's a fall lookbook it's a fall lookbook it'll be 1997 a fall lookbook speaking of uh looks and feels <laughs> tell me about your thoughts on the soundtrack to this movie yes so this whole movie to me is kind of like uh it's a purely emotional experience in a lot of ways. Uh, it's like it's not it's not like a super logic driven movie. It's not a super um, dialogue driven movie. Uh, it's just kind of it's like it's just a very cinematic experience. Uh, it's 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 all about the photography. It's all about sort of just like these like nonverbal mm-hmm. close ups. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about music cues. Vulture already ran a very bitchy kind of quiz mocking the on the nose nature of musical cues it in this was. movie. Why? Um, and, uh, you know, which is, yeah, they were like, not since not since Suicide Squad, they said. <laughs> I know, which is the most damning comparison you could possibly make. But also. Uh, but not wrong. Mm. I mean, but I will say, like, there were some cues, that, but they still, like, it was some music that I liked. And so I was, like, down for it. Like, when they showed Timothy Chalamet sitting in his bedroom reading to the strains of pr- protection by Massive Attack, I was like, so wound. Sure. Sure, but then there was this, like the the um who was it uh Crosby Stills and Nash um Neil Young Neil Young um, Heart of Gold yeah was yeah. a bit was a bit much the Cigarro like, song from every movie yeah yep Cigarro while you're getting high um they even timed it this I thought was in poor taste I think when he's like trying when he's shooting up for the first time and they're playing the Cigarro song to like the swell they t- they, they, yeah they time mm-hmm. like when it hits. With like all the, the the music like crushing in all at once, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This is glorifying the heroin use." I also yes, I also thought that because they're you know they're they're you know MBA rules about what you can do, and it right. felt incredibly. Um, I was like, "This is making this is like, like I get that it's a great feeling, and that's why he does it." But then the movie and that and maybe that's the way that it was trying to tell his story. Maybe that's the way that it was trying to put you in his shoes and write from his point of view from his memoir. Because you know he, yeah. he he's it's like he's like it's a great feeling it's the best feeling I've ever known. At the same time, that whole movie, even though they make it look beautiful, just really reinforced the fact that that is something I never want to touch. <laughs> Which part? That Matt? whole feeling. Uh, heroin, well, both, but, yeah. but especially heroin. Like yeah. that. Oof, that's so terrifying. Yeah. That feeling. That like little journey you go on. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like a yeah. fucking nightmare. Yeah, I I am not interested either. But uh, but I I think that this movie. Even and I'm the, glad you clarified. Even though the musical cues, in case anyone's listening, I'm not interested in heroin. <laughs> Stop setting it to me. Um, this, I think, you know, the, the, the songs that it chooses, even though they're on the nose, are so lovely. Sure. Yeah, of course. Um, yes. And uh, so, and you know, so like it looks great. It sounds great. Um, and for me, it just kind of facilitated the emotional experience of watching the movie mm-hmm. and of just going through a story that is just the ups and downs. Because a, a father-son story does a nothing for me um any father story does nothing at all for me and yet i was very 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 emotionally invested in this movie um i came into it with very low expectations and there were a lot of addiction movies at tiff this year um including one um featuring chalamet's clearest rival for number one young actor of a generation and lady bird co-star lucas hedges mm. uh it's called ben is back it's coming out um a bit later this season and uh 
it is uh, Lucas Hedges plays um, similarly a, a young addict uh, who, uh, in this case, um, surprises his family unannounced by coming home for Thanksgiving. Um, his mother is played by Julia Roberts, and um, and we quickly kind of infer that there have been a lot of, you know, the family has had a lot of pain and a lot of suffering over the years as a result of his addiction. And, um, and so, you know, they're very like, are we ready to handle him showing up unbidden like this? And they're wanting to just be able to have a happy family Thanksgiving with him. But at the same time, they have to constantly be looking at him with, with, um, um, with, um, skepticism. Yeah. It's like that family guy. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never mind. It's like that family guy arc. <laughs> Typical family guy arc. <laughs> He's it, making those high art connections just, between media. Just, just right. usual. Just another Meg. Uh, <laughs> Shut up, Meg. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah, that one ten- got a better reaction at TIFF. Uh, but to me, that one is kind of has a lot of sitcom contrivance. So I really mm. responded to the much more sort of like open-ended montage kind of vibe of this one. Because I felt like the central emotional thread of just a parent's, someone's love for a loved one who is in the throes of addiction um, I felt like the way that it illustrated it over the course of the film was just beautiful and simple and profound and consistent and effective. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it transcended their re- relationship dynamic. Like I mm-hmm. felt like I felt I related to this movie. It hit me kind of hard because, you, you, as you know, like I, I've struggled for a long time uh, with smoking. Mm-hmm. And and seeing this, like, the way he goes back and forth between, you know, not wanting to disappoint people and, like, knowing what he's doing wrong and feeling really bad about it, but knowing he can't stop it and then seeing how it affects other people, uh, it, it was really easy to relate to with all sorts of people. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, like, my friends and, like, my girlfriend and my parents. And, and it, even though this story is, like, pretty pretty closely just about those two, although I do love, like, more Tyranny uh, has a, a segment in there as mm. well where, like, things kind of, like, come to a head, and mm-hmm. that was really special. Yeah. Um, but, it, yeah, I felt like it was able to... It wasn't pigeonholed into that specific dynamic between father-son. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's why I liked it, because it does feel universal in mm-hmm. a way. Like, mm-hmm. it just taps into something un- universal about the human experience and just about, like... Just all of us have demons, all of us have vices, and just it just taps into the experience of, of just struggling. And it's very open and honest about it. I mm-hmm. think that in that part of it, I think, is particularly Northern California. Mm, yeah, definitely. Like that kind of, you know, because it's that's just kind of, you know, it's a very this part of the country is very open and very affirming and very kind of, you know, permissive and just kind of like it, it just lets it be in a way. So even though there are consequences for Nick. Um, and even though, you know, like the parents are constantly, you know, like, you know, you have to go to treatment. No, like there are rules. Um, there is, there's just a lack of judgment and there's a lack of moralizing, uh, that somehow just feels especially Bay area. Yeah. And I think that, that, that is also might be because at the end, you know, the movie has this whole section about like addiction in the country and some Mm -hmm. facts and some stats and about getting help. So I think this is framed under the the angle of like this is a depiction of something that's happening everywhere. Yeah, I'm raising awareness. I don't think that mm-hmm. that uh, having that that judgment would have vibed with the overall perspective right. of the filmmakers. Yeah, and it just so happens to also vibe authentically with its setting. We mm-hmm. haven't even talked about Timothy Chalamet. Please, what a performance! <laughs> what yeah. a performance! Uh, you know, it's already been written about that like he's giving off. James Dean is giving off young Brando like this is a performance that is it it continues to show that he's the real deal mm-hmm. he, this is a 
I dare say it's a must see performance. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are certain scenes in this movie that are just such master classes um, from him. The, the, the one diner scene. Right. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Uh, this is, yeah, this is an incredible performance. Um, and he, he does somehow still look just so gosh darn beautiful. Um, no matter how far gone he's, no matter how far he's fallen, you know, he can be lying, you know, at the bottom of a bathroom stall, heaped him to a ball with like a needle in his arm. And I'm still just like, Oh, look at his profile. (laughs) Look at that nose. Um, but, uh, but that's not, and, but he's not giving it anything less than, uh, than a hundred, uh, the entire time. Yeah. I think in, in the character that he embodies has this, um, this sweetness and lovability mm-hmm. that, that makes it, um, again, it really plays into your emotional response to the movie because, um, it, I mean, it, it, it's also part of the, the lack of judgment comes from the fact that he's just so kind and he has this energy mm-hmm. that's so lovable. Right. Um, that it's, yeah, and it's it, really heartbreaking. And we see watch. him, and we see him through his father's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, we can see him as, as that beautiful boy. Yeah. There, that is one part of the movie. I kind of wanted to talk as, as we were falling back in love with it. There's, they, they do a lot of like very intentional flashbacks mm-hmm. that really, really right, right up to the edge of, I think being manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it are like you know, you know, you do that. You know, you think of someone and you're missing them, and you right. think of that time, and like that, it's very believable. But sometimes it gets to be a little bit much. Yeah, yeah, I think it's always tough doing like a, a parental love story and not getting sentimental. Mm. Um, you know, because I think the, the the founding, the driving emotion of this entire movie is love. Mm-hmm. So I think it's hard to do that without veering maybe a little sentimental, a little manipulative. Um, I think that, you know, the director is sort of like a lesser Jean-Marc Vallée. Like he doesn't quite pull off that kind of, you know, interior life uh, flashback Mm -hmm. memory Mm -hmm. thing. Um, You know, like I I did think it was effective. The kid they found to play Teenage Chalamet. Really looked like him. Dead ringer. I'm like, that that was him two years ago. (laughs) I didn't know they shot this apart like that. It's a hologram. Um, uh, But but yeah, no, I, I, I those scenes were. They pushed it a little here and there, but I didn't think it was effective, even though I think that John Lennon's song, Beautiful Boy, is the most cloying song. Mm-hmm. And just imagining Steve Carell describing his son as, he's a beautiful boy, um, was, <laughs> to me, very cheesy. Um, I don't know that he ever says that, um, but uh, maybe he's in that letter. He's like, oh, if you see yeah, my beautiful so, boy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think there is, it does air a little inside of, like, mushy. Mm. Uh, are we giving this a binge it? I think I'm still giving it a binge it though. I think we are. Yeah. I still, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's, it's, yeah, it's obviously there are a ton of movies about addiction. Um, uh, but I feel like this one to me is like a, yeah, just sort of a uniquely, um, sort of emotional, non-judgmental, honest, beautifully acted experience. This shall and may be the pick of the week. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> shall and may not. <laughs> Bitch, I shall amay. <laughs> um, Beautiful Boy is rated R for drug content throughout, language, and brief sexual material. Jason, that brings us to the last movie of the week, The Oath. In a politically divided America, a man struggles to make it through the Thanksgiving holiday without destroying his family. What is happening to the country? Let's try to avoid that conversation for the next three days, okay? Hello! Hi. If these motherfuckers bring up The Oath... I'm going to lose my mind. Turn to the news. What did he do? He lit a copy of the oath on fire. And where are you getting this information from? At Fat Ass Patriot. Okay, he's a good source at Fat Ass Patriot. He's verified. He's, he's a verified. verified fucking idiot. 
my brother. I love him. I bet they signed the oath like that. You know I'm a feminist. But his girlfriend is a little cut. You're not using that word in this house. You can use pussy, trash pussy, but you cannot use that. Yeah, he's a trash pussy. Okay, that's fine. She's a trash pussy. I just rewatched Girls Trip. Oh. Was it still funny? Not as funny. Oh, no. I know. Oh, I know. When's the last time you watched it before that? The first time I watched it. Oh, did you watch it with Soul? Mm-hmm. Was she like, this isn't funny? And you're like, you're right. It's not funny. <laughs> yes. So impressionable. <laughs> That's why we shouldn't see movies together. That's right. And, and yet somehow it's all you do now. <laughs> uh, I think it was, I think there are parts of it that still are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Name, I don't know. Namely all of Tiffany Hash's parts. Yeah, definitely. I, I felt like the second time I, I got into the the storyline more. Like, I, I, to me, it was less funny. It was more... The, the friendship part really hit me more. It was like Aww. almost more like a drama. I'm not saying I liked so, it less, oh, but okay. it was just like... A different part of it appealed to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it was the mood I was in. That's great. Speaking of which, Tiffany Haddish. Yes. Here she is. Here she is with uh, Ike her first Holtz. ever Her first ever white movie. <laughs> with uh, Ike Barinholtz. Yes. Um, this seems like a movie made right now for right now you know we talk a lot about movies that are coming mm-hmm. out right now that are like oh they didn't realize the world they'd be released into yeah uh, this one is taking the moment uh, that we're in and taking it to its logical illogical conclusions yes yeah it is uh, it has a terrific premise uh, all too plausible mm-hmm. uh which yeah so we have this um this kind of barely fictionalized version of trump's america uh, where there is this thing that's been created called the Patriot's Oath. And essentially what it is presented as is um, just a way of saying that you support the president and you stand with the president. And the government says that it is not mandatory, um, but there are certain perks that come from being on the list. And um, they pitch it as like, what's well, just sort of like a white pages of people you know you can count on. Uh, so entirely plausible entirely yeah. possible oh, and it's sort of it's basically saying like you will side with the president over the country uh so uh so yeah ike Barinholtz plays a sort of like a parody of a you know just like a, a at his wits end liberal uh, tiffany hash is his wife and um and so we have this sort of prologue where we see them finding out about this oath and just being apoplectic and just be like i can't believe it i can't believe it we'll never sign it we'll never sign it um, then fast forward to Thanksgiving week the next year when that Black Friday of that Thanksgiving week is going to be the deadline. And um, and Ike is having his whole family over for Thanksgiving and he suspects they're kind of all over the spectrum on, um, you know, on this on the subject of the oath. And um, and so the first half of the movie is just pretty straightforward Thanksgiving social satire uh, where, you know, sure enough, we have a table full of people with differing points of view politically all getting into increasingly intense fights about their points of view. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not especially funny. Um, I, I, I pitched it to Scott, I showed it to Scott, and I feel bad about it because I'm like, oh, it's like a political comedy with like Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish. Mm-hmm. And then we started to watch it, and it's not really funny. Um, and its attempts at humor don't really fly. Um, it Honestly, it made me think a lot about... Um, Hannah Gadsby's commentary about like the way that you know you time you know a great comic uses timing to figure out when they need to release the uh, anxiety and tension of the audience mm, and this just plays and, right into it and this movie doesn't succeed in making 
moments of humor that are big enough to release the tension that is so, so nerve-destroying because this is where we all live now. Mm. Like, this is the opposite of escapism. This mm-hmm. is the least escapist movie you'll ever see. It is exactly where we live. Um, you know, it's you can't even really call it a dystopia because it's like, oh, that's just reality. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. Well, so like we... this-topia. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, the first half is just Ike Barinholtz and his family all shouting at each other about politics and about the oath. Um, and, um, you know, him having allies who he thinks will be on his side, but then it turns out they all signed the oath too. And, um, Carrie Brownstein plays his sister. She's in it. <laughs> so you get to see Carrie Brownstein and Tiffany Haddish acting together. Wow. Yes. Who do you get to pay to get that done? <laughs> oh, um, so Tiffany Haddish, the weird thing about her character in this movie. So in general, it does not use her well. Um, and she feels like a bit of an odd m- match for the material. Uh, but she is, you know, she's the only person of color, uh, in the family and no one from her side of the family comes over. It's all just his family. So it's a bunch of white people staying around shouting each other about their points of view. And she has, she never really gets into it. So she, uh, kind of just stands outside of the debates and, um, and then she kind of finally gets in and says some really implausible things. And you're like, what? And, um, and, and the subject of her race is never really brought up. There's like a scene later where Ike Barinholtz is uh, sort of like being like, how could you have done this? And what about this? I would just think that as a black woman, and then she's just kind of like, we're not going to have this argument out here in the driveway. Um, so I felt like the character was not written to be a woman of color. And um, and they were just kind of like, well, let's just try to not make the dialogue about that. But as a result, it winds up sounding, seeming really kind of like oblivious. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it never takes into account kind of how this would all impact her differently. Right. Uh, and even when, you know, she kind of drops this bombshell about, you know, her own relationship to the oath, um, her explanation about the choice that she made um, could easily have been made uh, in relation to, like, the rest of you have completely separate things, set of things to worry about right, in exactly. all this than I do. But that's not even what she says. Uh, so uh, she's just kind of like, I have a daughter. Uh, it's not great mm. so it m- does not make great use of her the second half of the movie just when you thought it was uh sort of a, a average mediocre-ish kind of family fighting things like a politics movie the second half becomes violent and really intense uh, because two agents from the government show up at the house um played by john cho and billy magnuson <laughs> uh, saying that they have had a report filed to them that act baronholt's character now here on this it's Black Friday now. Um, there has been a report that he has tried to impede somebody from signing the oath. And uh, and he is uh, incredibly aggressive and abrasive with them right out of the gate. Um, one thing that I do appreciate about this movie is that Ike Barinholtz makes everyone look bad. He's not positioned himself as like, oh, I'm the liberal who gets it, and so I'm the hero. Like, you, you hate him in this movie. <laughs> uh, partially, you might hate him because you see a lot of yourself in it. And I mean, you, the general you. Uh, meaning <laughs> people who are like us yeah because uh, you know he's like a news junkie and he's just like watching you know all the time getting himself amped up like oh my god um and uh you know and then you know like sitting there looking at his phone at like the table and then just you know interrupting people talking to me like oh my god oh no uh no i, I look, don't know anybody that does look, that look what happened and just like shoving the phone in people's faces like look look what they did okay. um so uh yeah there's really not a lot of people to root for in the movie um but yeah, it, it's just kind of 
it, it would all make it okay if it was leading to it having any kind of point, but then the whole thing gets resolved through a deus ex machina that kind of is hard to respect. Ooh. So, uh, or at least, I mean, it's kind of a funny, it's a punchline that I couldn't say without giving away the ending of the movie. Um, sure. But um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like, oh, here's the way this whole situation would be resolved. And, um, and it's kind of like, well, yes, that would also resolve our current situation, but also kind of like resolves a lot of intense shit that had gone down by that point in the movie in ways that did not feel believable. And um, yeah, it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's not really a comedy. It's a really intense political um, kind of character thriller, like psychological thriller. Mm. Is it supposed to be a comedy? Um, I mean, it's kind of being marketed as a comedy. Interesting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, not especially funny despite, I mean, that's the thing. You cast a bunch of comedians, Ike Barinholtz, Tiffany Haddish, Carrie Brownstein, Nora Dunn, uh, you know, John Cho does a lot of comedy. Bill Magnuson does a lot of comedy. Uh, so it, it has, it has like the look <laughs> cast wise of a mm-hmm. comedy. And yet it's, yeah, it's a really just punishing, oh, so unpleasant psychological thriller. It's like that one movie with uh, David Cross where all those people are inside that house and like a nuclear bomb goes off. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I don't think I can't so. can't think of the name of it. And they like can't leave because they're, they're eventually going to die because the, yeah. everything's toxic. And then mm. it's just like they, all these people then on the verge of um, like breaking up as friends are stuck in this house. Oh. It's also like it's that movie or like uh, The Last Supper. Like it's, yeah. like it's a comedy, but it it's not a comedy. It made me think of comedy. The Last Supper. It made me think of The Last Supper. I love The Last Supper though. Oh my God, yeah. Uh-huh. We should watch that. That's such a fun movie. Um, That's just mid-90s paradise, that fucking movie. Right? Ugh, simpler times. Yes. But this one is not like that. This one is not pleasant. I have no fond memories of watching it. Oh, no. Um, you feel triggered I, attacked? I, I applaud Ike Barinholtz uh, for you know coming up with an original story. Um, it's just his execution is just not there. It doesn't have like the few laughs it has don't make up for how uh, unpleasant the rest of it is. And the whole it just winds up in the middle. And accordingly, my rating for it is consume moderation. The oath is rated R for language throughout, violence, and some drug use. And that's it. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to subscribe if you'd like. Uh, if not, that's okay. Mm. Maybe we'll do better next week. We hope. Um, thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.